policies uh, through policies or regulation or, um, or even usage. And this is where our attention in much more than this, our excitement has been attracted by a very fresh work on competition on one hand and sustainability. So we know that uh, uh, competition law has been called to solve a lot of issues of concern for societies, um, big tech companies having market power and the impact on democracy or freedom of speech or the impact of market power on wages, labor, um, racial issues, uh, gender balance, etc. But does it work with um, sustainability and environment? That would be the question of today. And we're very happy to have two preeminent thinkers and academic leaders in those fields today with us. We also have discussion uh, who will just exchange on this with us, but I would let uh, Jaren introducing them just now. Jaren, please. Hello. Hello, everybody. And thank you, Frederick. Yes, indeed. Oh, this is Jaren Renal, uh, VP and general counsel and a legal nerd to, say, to start with. So I'm, I'm super excited to have this webinar today. And we have the luxury to have two top experts in the field. Uh, Professor Victoria Robertson from Vienna University of Economics and Business, who is also the head of Competition Law and Digitalization Group and the director of the Competition Law Hub. And also we have Dr. Bjorn Herbers, antitrust and competition partner at CMS Brussels, who focuses on digital and telecom. So I'd like to turn to uh, Vicky first to give us this outline the emerging role of sustainability of EU competition law with a focus on digital, including uh, recent cases, discussions, uh, and we would like to spark a conversation later on on how sustainability can be a driver to bridge digital and green transition, and of course, ultimately, to build a stronger and more competitive digital economy. So Vicky, the, the screen is yours. <laughs> Excellent. Many thanks, Sharon and Frederick. Nice to be here, uh, even if only virtually. I'll try and share my screen. So hopefully you can see it. Yeah, excellent. Wonderful. Okay, so let's see what I can make of, of those 15 minutes that I have <laughs> to introduce you to whether competition law can be green and digital, which in fact are, are two of, of the research areas that I that I delve into regularly. And the, the interesting part today really is uh, what Digital uh, Goes Green actually does, which is, can you bridge um, those two or is there a gap? So what I'd like to start with is uh, to talk about the antitrust discourse and how it has become both green and digital. I mean, our lives have become enormously digitalized over the past two decades. And if you're joining us uh, today, you're joining us on Zoom, or maybe you're looking at this recording. And so you're using a digital service that has made life during the pandemic much more manageable. And that here at university has been our primary teaching tool over these past two, almost two and a half years or so. So digitalization is no longer an abstract concept. It pervades our everyday lives in our workplace, but of course also in our private lives. And at the same time, unfortunately, we're living in unprecedented times as regards the environment. Um, we hear regularly of record floods, extreme heat, glaciers breaking, uh, wildfires raging. And those, according to scientists, are all indicators that global warming is a very re real phenomenon that we shouldn't ignore any further. 
if we want this planet and us as its population to thrive. So of course, these developments cannot go unnoticed in any area, and they have also impacted how we think about competition and competition law. So what has happened rather recently? Rather recently, the European Union has recentered its entire economic strategy on two pillars, and those are digitalization and environmental sustainability. So we have uh, broad sustainable development goals by the United Nations, 17 of those. And in addition to those, the European Union is implementing an ambitious Green Deal, and that will touch upon every policy within the European Union. And this is already showing in competition policy. So if you think of January 2019, back then the European Commission hosted a conference on competition law in the digital era. And only last year, it hosted a conference on competition policy contributing to the European Green Deal. So this twin transition in the economic strategy focusing on digitalization and environmental sustainability has also started to pervade competition law and policy. Now, the question, of course, that now will frequently surface is the following. Can competitive markets lead to market outcomes that are digital and green? Or is it impossible to have both? Do we have to make a choice between digital and green? Or can they work hand in hand? So these are the questions that we're here to explore today. And I'm looking forward to, um, to your questions. So to start off the discussion, I want to begin by highlighting some commonalities that you can find in green competition law and in digital competition law. Now, what do I mean when I talk about green and digital competition law? Um, when I talk about digital competition law, I mean that area of competition law that deals with the digitalization of markets and the ever-growing presence of digital platforms. And it also, of course, asks how competition law can contribute to advance the digitalization of the European Union while maintaining a level playing field. Green competition, on the other hand, this is a more recent development, and it discusses what competition law can contribute in order to further the use sustainability goals, its Green Deal, and also what changes would need to be made to EU competition law in order to better promote these goals. So what are the commonalities between this green and digital competition law? So what unites the two straight away is that they both touch upon important public policy goals that are laid down in the EU treaties. In digital competition law, data is regularly at the center of the analysis because so much of the digital economy revolves around information, information about users, about products, about competitors, and so on. So in this respect, data protection regularly comes into play and it strives to protect personal user data from invasive digital practices. And you can also find data protection among the fundamental rights accorded by the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights. And in a way, this is not unlike environmental protection laws that want to protect the environment from invasive practices. And environmental protection is also among the fundamental rights accorded by the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights. And the United Nations actually recognized the right to a safe, clean, healthy, and sustainable environment as a human right only last year. At the same time, the digitalization of our lives also raises the question to what extent citizens have a right to access digital services and technologies, and to what extent big digital platforms uh, need to remain open to smaller competitors. 
So one first common denominator between green and digital competition law is that important public policy goals are intertwined um, with the green and digital economy that also need to be reflected in EU competition law. And we know that the EU's economic strategy with this twin uh, approach wants to achieve a balanced green and digital economy. So this further emphasizes the need of getting this balance right. And to do so, uh, there's integration clauses in the treaty, especially Article 7 and 11 of the TFEU, of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, that can provide a path to carry these ideas further. But of course, and this is stressed in both digital and green competition law, uh, competition law will not be in the lead when it comes to either greening or digitalizing the economy. It can, however, play an, a supporting role in, in this transition by providing the rules that businesses have to adhere to when they do business in Europe. So that's the first common trait, so to speak. What's a further shared characteristic? That's the nature of benefits that accrue to consumers. Normally in competition law, we like to focus on price. So price is our central parameter of competition law analysis. And of course, it's very useful for economists because they can calculate something. Uh, however, when it comes to making the EU's economy greener and digitalizing it at the same time, I found in my research that price may no longer be an appropriate parameter. Uh, more environmentally sustainable products often come with an elevated price tag, as we know when we go shopping, but they also come with added benefits like lower levels of pesticides, cleaner air, or slowing down climate change. So at the same time, a more digitalized economy will both extract more data from users and also perhaps consume enormous amounts of energy. So that requires us to carefully think about how much protection needs to be awarded both to privacy, but also to the environment. Now, economists tell us that you could give price tags to all of this. They've come up with ways to do that. But the question is, is that really such a good idea? Perhaps it's time to come up with an antitrust assessment that takes non-price benefits more into account without necessarily giving them such a price tag. So if price is no longer the cornerstone of, of our analysis, then the traditional economic analytical tools of competition will reach their limits, and we either need to develop new tools or um, enhance old ones. So this is a challenge that both green and digital competition law need to master in the future to find out ways to measure consumer harm or benefits related to, for instance, data protection, digital rights, environmental sustainability, and so on. Another shared trait uh, among digital and green competition law is that they, they come with issues of bounded rationality. So in data protection, there's the privacy paradox that I'm sure you've heard of. So whilst most users state that they value their privacy, they often don't act accordingly in their online environment, or maybe they're not given the possibility to act in such a way. And in environmental protection, there's the so-called eco-paradox. And most consumers state that it's important to them to buy sustainable products, um, but very few people actually do so in the shops, or maybe they don't have the means to do so. So here the question arises how competition law can and sh should factor those psychological phenomena into its analysis and how much it should also nudge consumers in a certain uh, direction. Now let's move to a third and final shared trait, and that's the ecosystems and network effects idea. 
um, both in the digital economy. So in the digital economy, um, as you know, network effects and network externalities play a central role, um, especially because of the interdependencies that arise in digital markets. Um, and we do in digital competition though increasingly focus on digital ecosystems as a unit of analysis. But of course, there's also this idea also applies to the environment where ecological ecosystems and network effects are at issue. So I think the better we understand ecosystems as such, we will better understand ecological ones as well as digital ones. So as a short conclusion, these shared characteristics will hopefully allow competition law to increase its ability to analyze competitive scenarios in which such issues arise. So for example, when trying to incorporate environmental uh, protection or data protection into an analysis. So here, digital and green competition law can and should lend each other a helping hand to further develop competition law doctrine and practice. So now that we've explored some of the commonalities that can help in devising a green and digital future of competition law, let's come to the more challenging part and that is, of course, frictions or possible frictions between a green and digital economy, and so also between a green and digital competition law. It's clear that if we pursue some digital goals, this will hamper environmental sustainability um, because of the energy consumption they lead to, because of the natural resources that are required to come up with certain devices, um, because of their exclusionary character and so on. So in short, you know, because of this far-reaching environmental impact. And as the EU pushes ahead with its goal of digitalizing our markets and our businesses and our lives, um, it will need to bear this in mind. And there will also be cases in which prioritizing sustainability goals could be at the expense of more digitalization. For instance, uh, certain collaborations that intend to further technical progress might require outrageous amounts of energy and they may not be tolerated based on sustainability considerations. And then of course, we get to the point where it becomes clear that in order to achieve a green and digital economy, these two goals need to be reconciled in some way, which is something we're, we're trying to figure out today. Um, luckily, there will be cases where digital technologies can be used to pursue goals of environmental sustainability. So for instance, a green tech company can work together with powerful digital platforms to lower the energy consumption of the platform's millions of users, perhaps. Um, already now, this type of cooperation is unlikely to come within the antitrust prohibition of Article 101 of the treaty, but it may also involve personal user data that's being collected, of course, about energy consumption and so on. And in this case, of course, you should examine this case more closely. Um, another example could be where a competition authority can choose uh, a behavioral remedy in the digital markets case, and it might choose one over the other because the chosen remedy might be more environmentally friendly. So again, working hand in hand. And there will also be cases where policymakers will need to strike a delicate balance between the two goals. For competition law, this will mean exploring how best to further market outcomes that can do justice to both goals. Um, for instance, researchers are now calling for a sustainable digital economy. And this can include a circular economy that intelligently reuses precious resources or a green innovation that makes digitalization more environmentally friendly. And wherever 
this goal of a sustainable digital economy cannot be reached, competition law will have to ask itself whether a certain agreement between companies or whether a powerful company's unilateral behavior or perhaps a merger would prioritize one type of economy over the other and what type of competitive outcome should then be given a priority in the competition assessment. So definitely not, not an easy thing to do. Coming towards the end, um, this is something that in research that we're just starting to explore. So to what extent competition law can have a green and digital future um, is still very much you know, debated. Of course, we're also debating it today. Um, what I've drawn up is a research agenda that we can, can and should follow if uh, we think that competition law should perhaps have a green and digital future. So if it is our goal to devise such a type of competition law, then I think we need to take uh, three steps. The first is to understand how competition law and competition itself affect environmental sustainability and the digitalization of our economy, working hand in hand. And then possibly to review the goals of EU competition law, because it's very much focused on a specific type of, of consumer welfare, and if this is broadened, then perhaps uh, more green goals can be incorporated as well. And finally, as a third step to possibly adapt our theories of harm and remedies uh, to take this into account um, more carefully. So this is um, speaking of the future, but I think it's something that, that will and should be done in the near future um, to, to make this a viable um, area of competition law. Last but not least, uh, let me just say, this is something that will not happen overnight. It is something that will take some time. Um, of course, climate scientists are telling us that's exactly the problem. We don't actually have that time. Um, but hopefully, competition can contribute to meeting this important challenge of both a digital and a green future. I'm looking forward to discussing these ideas with all those of you who've been able to join us today. And yeah, thank you for having me. Many thanks, Vicky, for this wonderful overview. And I'm sure it's going to spark a lot of questions. I know I do have questions uh, for the discussion later. And please, uh, our attendees, feel free to uh, write down your questions on the Q&A section. And also later in the discussion, if you would like to speak up, please feel free to raise hands so that we can let you speak. And I would like to turn to Bern uh, for a more spot on uh, practical approach on competition issues, and I will be sharing your slides, Bern, so you can. Thank you. Let me share. Yes, everyone can see, right? Yes, we can okay. see. We can jump right to the first slide, please. Then. Okay. So hello, good afternoon uh, to everyone from my side as well. And um, thank you for having me. Thank you, Vicky, for this very interesting uh, presentation. A lot of food for thought. Um, already a lot of uh, important points you touched upon. I, I would like to take one step back and, and, and go back to maybe the question that Frederick raised. Um, the role of competition law, if you look at these, I, I would think, and that's probably undisputed, most important uh, policy goals we have in the European U Union for the for the for now and for the future. That's first 
um, shaping Europeans' digital future, and on, on the, and, the, and the second uh, important item, of course, the the green transition with the European um, Green Deal, which is really the key political project of, of the European Commission. And uh, I think now, oh, what we have seen is now over the, over the last month, this has somehow this this transition also transformed from a from a pure environmental. A project to a security project, uh, developing away from um, traditional energy uh, to renewable energy, become energy independent. So, so both very big challenges. And um, Frederick very nicely said, uh, whenever we have a problem, we call for competition law for help, which is something which I like very much as a competition lawyer. Um, but. Um, yeah, if you, if you look at these two boxes, the digital future and, and the green transition, and the title of, of this uh, today's event, that uh, competition law should build the bridge, uh, we, we have to think a bit, bit about where exactly, what's, what's exactly the, the role for, for competition law. Um, if, we, if we can go to the next slide, please. Yeah. So, Vicky already explained that if you if you look at it from a from a policy point of view, there there are a lot of uh, common challenges. But if you really just look at the at the what we uh, at these two items in, in a very practical way, um, there's also um, a clear link. First of all, and Frederick also already mentioned this, of course. Uh, digital is, is uh, something we have uh, got used to over the last years, which which helped us over the uh, over the, the COVID crisis, which helped us. For example, they probably will need to help us in the over, over the next winter. Um, uh, but this has, of course, also a certain downside. Um, ICT, uh, the ICT industry already. Uh, is uh, responsible for a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. That's of course due to the to the to the energy use. So uh, digital on on the on the uh, on the one hand uh, also needs to be measured against the, uh, the, the the goals we want to achieve with the green deal. Uh, also has to cut back on on um, on emissions and reduce its its ecological footprint. On the other hand. Uh, digital um, can be uh, one of the elements which can support the transition to a, a more green economy because this uh, digital economy mainly is a more smart economy uh, with tools like pool data, supercomputing or artificial intelligence. Uh, a lot of these, the, these measures, these very painful measures which has been taken to Developed from uh, probably in, in, to, in, in many aspects more comfortable traditional economy to a more responsible uh, economy which is uh, which uses less uh, um, resources and energy in particular and has a, a, a better um, uh, ecological, ecological footprint and I, I think that's when we talk about 
the green transition, this is very often about changing uh, our habits. Um, I don't know, flight shaming, um, redu reducing your personal spending of, of resources. And I think this is the, this is the, the, the very positive um, angle of, of this that we say we have with the digitalization, we have a tool to support this transition and, and, and hopefully develop our, our economy into a more green economy without having to giving uh, given up all the advantages we have uh, taken, we had in, in, in the past. It's, it's simply a matter of transition and not of, of giving up. That's why I, I like the, this, the linking of these two elements um, uh, very much. If you can go to the next slide. Now, um, when we have when we when we when we had these when we have these two elements and we say uh, one supports each other or they are both related uh, to each other, um, that's uh, of, of course not not something which which happens in 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 the blue sky. That's actually companies which are behind um, these these boxes, bo companies and companies moving on markets. And whenever companies move on markets and interact with others, that's when competition law comes into play. And that answers your question, uh, Frederick, what's the role of, of, of competition law? Competition law governs the rule, governs the, uh, provides the rules for companies uh, acting, interacting with each other, cooperating with each other on the market. And that's why um, uh, there is something uh, such a, a thing as a green competition policy. And that's the way how um, competition policy can actually support both um, uh, goals. Now, um, you have already, Vicky, you have already presented a bit the history of these, of these policy considerations in the European Union. And um, to be honest, I had the feeling actually that for a long time, um, competition policy was, was much more reluctant uh, then it appears now um, to accept that it was a part of of the of this of this overall um, uh, yeah challenges. So it, in, in principle, the traditional competition law approach is uh, competition law ensures that markets function, and uh, functioning markets will lead to an efficient efficient outcome. And um, um, if we have uh, these efficient outcome will normally be also in, in, in line with the uh, broader policy goals such as digitalization or um, green transition. And um, there has been a, yeah, a, a certain movement over the last two years. And uh, you, you already mentioned the different events, uh, the West Dyer conference and there was this famous policy brief by, by the European Commission's DG competition um, in which the commission started to accept that also competition policy has to support and complement the green transition. And if I say uh, competition policy, uh, this concerns all areas of competition policy being state aid control, antitrust and, and uh, merger control. Uh, I think merger control probably is the element which of, of has uh, less importance here. Uh, that's certainly something uh, or uh, green um, uh, goals can certainly be uh, considered in, in the uh, merger control assessment, but it's, it's, it's certainly not the most important area in, uh, for, um, for the green transition. 
state aid control is, is definitely something very important, but I, I would say, and uh, apologies to my state aid colleagues, probably the, the, the easiest uh, way of application because that's simply uh, a matter of defining uh, in, in, uh, yeah, the, the rules and conditions for, for state aid. Um, and what I think is the most challenging uh, um, area is, is actually antitrust, meaning the, the ways company can uh, act uh, together because uh, in this field, uh, companies have to rely on uh, basically on their self-assessment. Uh, there is a, there's a, a certain limited uh, possibility to ask the authority for, for guidance, but in principle, uh, we have uh, the, uh, the, the system of self-assessment in the European Union, meaning you simply have the, uh, the prohibition of um, anti-competitive agreements and companies have to find out themselves whether their, their uh, conduct is in line with uh, competition law or not. And this is the area where we have, where we had a lot of discussions, a lot of academic uh, discussions uh, over the last years. Uh, Vicky said um, that's something which is not happening overnight. On the other hand, uh, there is, of course, a, a, a big urgency to act now. These, the, the goals we have with the European Green Deal are, are very ambitious. Uh, there is a demand by consumers, so companies want to act. And uh, DG Comp has, in, so DG Competition has, in the meantime, uh, also share, shares the view, and it says on the, on the dedicated website, they have, uh, it's time for green antitrust now. So can, can we go to the next slide? Um, as I said, companies have to, um, under European uh, competition law, have to assess the legality of their conduct uh, under competition law by themselves. They have um, uh, certain guidance from the European Commission, in, uh, in particular in its um, uh, so-called horizontal guidelines. These uh, horizontal guidelines are currently being reviewed and the commission has published in March the draft for the new uh, horizontal guidelines and um, now complies with uh, a lot of uh, voices or requests uh, from companies, from stakeholders asking for more guidance, how companies can cooperate um, or work together in the, um, in the area of uh, green or uh, in initiatives. Uh, and what, I, what I've put on this slide here, this, that's a quote from the um, from the, these draft guidelines, which I think is, uh, summarizes uh, very nicely um, the, the situation. Uh, we have, uh, we can have a situation where um, individual production and consumption decisions have these famous uh, negative externalities, meaning you, uh, you cause a negative effect which uh, doesn't um, appear uh, on, on your own side, but on, on which it has to be borne by somebody else or by the general public. And for these reasons, these uh, these negative effects are not sufficiently taken into account when the companies are taking uh, their uh, their business decisions. And um, to address these market failures, um, there's of course obviously the possibility to uh, address them through public policies, through regulation, uh, but that's something which is 
often very slow, and sometimes it's not it's not even possible to to cover uh, these external effects because maybe it's not limited to European so, Union. So, Michael, I I need to leave. I send you a last. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I I will continue. Um, and um, in, in these cases, uh, cooperation agreements or general cooperation between companies can be necessary to foster sustainable production uh, or consumption. So, so the next slide, please. And um, more precisely, uh, we have in these, uh, following this, this introductory part in the, in, the, in the guidelines, we have now guidance. Um, which I think is very helpful for, for, for companies wanting to cooperate in this field on how they um, can cooperate in, in, uh, with regards to uh, green initiatives. Um, so this is uh, the structure of the guidance we see now in the, in the, in the draft horizontal guidelines. Uh, there are first explanations uh, where um, under which circumstances Green agreements are not raising competition concerns. That's basically initiatives um, raising uh, awareness um, for green goals. Or I'm, I'm talking now about the the, the green part, um, but it's generally it refers to generally to sustainability initiatives um, or other um, internal conduct that companies should just not concern their market behavior. So whenever competition is not concerned. Um, of course, there we don't have any uh, competition concerns, and uh, Article 101 doesn't apply. Um, then that's something that, it, that the Commission had a strong focus on in the in, in, in their consultation process, um, the uh, standardization agreements for which they now provide a soft harbor, meaning uh, companies introducing sustainability standards. Um, so we have now explanations under V. Uh, under which conditions these uh, such standardization uh, initiatives benefit from a, a, a safe harbor and, and can be uh, safely be pursued. And then, and that's, I think, is the, is the most interesting part. We have now, uh, for the first time, uh, clearer guidance on the competition law assessment of, um, of green initiatives. And there, as before we have any policy changes or in, in we have to apply the, the current legal framework and it means we have to measure any such initiatives against Article 101, the prohibition of anti-competitive agreements. And then we can see whether they are exempted from um, the ban on cartels or the, by, the, uh, by Article 101, subsection three, uh, if they lead to efficiency gains. So next slide, please. Now, this is the um, standard assessment of efficiency gain. I mean, you have an you have an cooperation which might have an, on the on the first level a negative impact on on competition. Why? Because you have two companies or a group of companies in the ICT sector um, agreeing to limit um, the, um, the energy usage of their devices, which might be something which might limit uh, their, their, the time you can use these devices. And in any event, will have something, will have an internet, will have, have an impact on a competitive parameter, meaning there's a restriction of competition. And now you have to 
assess on the second level whether these um, uh, whether these restriction of competition is is justified. And if you look at the sort of the uh, you see the four conditions which have to be met to qualify from exemption from uh, from uh, the, the ban on cartels. And uh, if if you run through these parameters, it looks kind of easy on the on on the, on, the, on the first side. It's very tricky if you look at the, at the uh, the individual conditions in more detail. And then this touches upon a, a lot of the of the questions Vicky already addressed. Meaning, if you look at the first uh, on, on first conditions, you need an improvement of production, distribution of goods, or promotion of technical or economic progress. That's of course the question. What is um, uh, what are these? Uh, what is an improvement? Um, it's, it's clear if you have um, cost savings, uh, that's relatively easy. Uh, but, but, but what with uh, qualitative efficiencies, and uh, how do you um, quantify um, these? Uh, for example, uh, benefits for for the environment. Uh, this is in linked to the to the to the second condition: the consumers receiving a fair share of this benefit. At, at, at some point, you have to um, determine the value of uh, of, um, of of such efficiencies, and in particular, the value of for the uh, for the users. So, if you have, um, of, of of course, anything where you can you can put a price tag on, which is the traditional uh, way to measure. Uh, efficiencies uh, is, is, is relatively easy, but, but if you have non-use benefits, uh, you, you need ways uh, to measure, measure um, the, the value for consumers. And maybe there is even is not even a, a willingness to pay. Then there's this link to the question and on, 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 on uh, to this more uh, policy uh, policy question of uh, whether you want to give companies the right. To decide for consumers what's good for them and, and, and what's not, and finally, um, the the very challenging question: uh, how to deal with collective benefits? Meaning, you have a an agreement between companies which leads to higher prices for their direct customers, but on the other hand, would have gigantic benefits for society as such because it reduces the the um, the output of uh, carbon uh, and uh, will have an, a very uh, big benefit, provide, provide big benefits uh, for, uh, for the environment. Uh, how can you um, weight these uh, disadvantages for a certain group of uh, consumers against the, uh, the benefits for, uh, for a larger group? So these are all questions which are very challenging, which are now addressed in the, in, in the, in the guidelines. And um, I think which are not answered by the by the, by the, by the draft guidelines, but uh, open up um, for the necessary uh, discussion and um, um, yeah, also interaction with the authorities. Now, two more conditions which I would briefly touch upon. Uh, first, uh, the restrictions have to be indispensable. This, of course, uh, very often question by competition law. Uh, Dear companies, that's very nice, but why don't you do it on your own? And um, here the answer is, uh, by companies very often will be, yes, uh, we would, but uh, whoever moves first will be punished by the market and the rest then can safely uh, walk behind this, this first mover who paid the price. 
And this is now something which I which I found uh, which I welcome very much that the, that the guidelines now accept that there is something like this first mover disadvantage, and that a joint action can be necessary to overcome this uh, particular disadvantage. Also, something you have very often you need uh, economies of scale to overcome um, uh, challenges, and uh, something Vicky already mentioned that you kind of. Uh, uh, of course, again, uh, something where you, from a policy point of view, can be skeptical. Uh, but sometimes we uh, we need to nudge consumers uh, and and their preferences in, into a certain direction because, yeah, to some extent, we all are in a learning process, and it, it, it might take some time to accept that uh, standards need to change. And uh, yeah, these these education and learning sometimes is something companies can do better than on their own. Now, finally, I think the, the, the last element, uh, the, the last condition is relatively clear. Uh, whatever companies do together, uh, it needs to be some degree of competition left because overall, um, this is something we, we have uh, lived very well with over, over the last years with uh, functioning competition. And I think this is the, the going to be the, the basis for both uh, the green and uh, digital economy. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Bjorn. Um, efficiency, this is something I'd like us to discuss uh, uh, further in a few minutes. I apologize for interrupting you during your speech, but I desperately was trying to get our last um, uh, discussion of the day, uh, Marco Lopriano from the European Commission, who obviously has multiple difficulties to connect through Zoom uh, from the European Commission here in Brussels. So um, Marco, you will see us later uh, because this is recorded, but I'm sorry, we were unable to zoom you in. So that's why you were seeing me just agitated and talking a lot during your speech, Bjorn. Um, um, talking to you now, uh, Alessandro, um, you represent Etno, you're the Deputy Director General of Etno. Um, so you represent the European Telecom Network Operators. Uh, whenever we speak about competition law, I know the industry is sometimes a bit nervous because you guys need clarity, uh, because you need to invest a lot in new technologies. So when you see that there is still a lot to discuss about environment, sustainability and competition, does it make you nervous? Thank you, Frederic, and thanks a lot to Vicky and Björn for their very interesting uh, presentations. I would say I'm very relaxed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, I'll, I'll speak to you today with the Ethno hat, but also from my experience at JASI, the Global Enabling Sustainability Initiative, where I'm in, in the board. I think um, that the most important thing is that uh, there is an awareness today um, on the so-called twin green and digital transition. Uh, this is something that in this audience uh, uh, we probably have a lot. So it's clear to all of us that digitalization can drive uh, the green agenda and vice versa. But my first message uh, before I start with my um, oral presentation is that we need uh, to advocate and educate more and more audiences on this because this is not a given in all the audiences, especially as we move uh, into member states 
or as we move to authorities and regulators um, who are rightly so not used uh, to deal with these uh, topics. So first message is we need more events like this and we need more work from all of us in the academia, in the industry, in the stakeholders community to explain how and why uh, the green agenda and the digital agenda are connected. Now, to my presentation, I will uh, discuss with you uh, basically uh, three areas. The first one is uh, what, how the industry is looking at uh, the green agenda from the ICT side. I sit in telecoms, but we have also in the ecosystem uh, more um, actors. I'm thinking of uh, tech companies, but I'm thinking also of uh, all the other ICT companies. Uh, the second uh, uh, part that I'll tell you about is what we are doing right now in a joint project uh, that is funded by the EU uh, called the European Green Digital Coalition. And the third and last part, I will go uh, more into detail as to how the European telecom industry is looking at the interaction of all these discussions with the competition policy. Uh, picking it from the top, uh, we are looking at this debate in uh, two ways. The greening of our networks and the greening of our own businesses and the greening by our networks and the greening by our businesses. What do I mean? I mean uh, that uh, there is a strong awareness in the ICT industry today um, that we are going to be enablers of uh, uh, reduction of carbon emissions across sectors of society and of the economy. However, we cannot credibly discuss about our so-called enabling potential if first we do not sort out our own carbon emission reduction. So we need to do the uh, devoir, our own homework. So let me pick it from the greening of and zoom in on the telecoms industry. The greening of our networks is a process that is ongoing and it's uh, intimately intertwined with uh, one big transition, which is the transition from legacy digital networks, which are those that many of you are using and that probably we are using also now in this uh, Zoom call, like copper networks uh, or uh, mixed copper fiber networks or 4G networks. And we need to transition to the new generation and uh, do a full transition to the 5G networks and to the fiber to the home networks. Um, this is very relevant to our discussion because the studies that we have tell us that the new technologies are far more efficient in terms of energy consumption than the previous ones. So a 5G network, will use energy far more efficiently than a 3G network. And a fiber, full fiber network will use uh, energy in a far more efficient way than the good old copper networks that keep us going in many cases uh, still today. Later, I will also tell you why this is relevant uh, from a competition uh, viewpoint. Uh, now, we know that the evolution 
towards newer generational networks has already uh, created some savings in terms of energy consumption from our sector. In 2017, for example, we had 4.62 CO2 equivalent tons of uh, greenhouse gases emissions in the sector, while in 2020 we had 2.77, and this is in relation to our uh, revenues. So this means that despite generating more data and despite having more demand running on internet, on the internet, basically, we are able with technology to reduce uh, the uh, emissions uh, that we generate. This is also linked uh, to our transitioning towards uh, renewable uh, energy. In uh, 2017, 55% of the energy used in our sector was uh, not renewable. In 2020, 62% is renewable energy. So it means that the non-renewable energy part has become the minority and will probably uh, be uh, very uh, short. The greening by our network, so the enabling potential, which was the other aspect uh, that I mentioned, we started calculating it and there is a BCG study for Etno from 2021 that said that if we have a full uptake of 5G and fiber networks, we can uh, achieve a 15% 1.5 carbon emission reduction across the economy. And this is true way like empowering uh, smart cities or smart transport and so on. Now, this is a big number and there are different numbers out there. So let me come to the second part of, of, of my brief uh, presentation, which is we felt that we needed uh, to come to an academically sound uh, way to measure the net potential of ICT in reducing carbon emissions. And this is why Etno, together with other partners like Jay-Z, uh, Digital Europe, GSMA and others, is now in the European Green Digital Coalition where with uh, uh, partners like Deloitte, Carbon Trust, and a series of experts, we are trying to come up with a way to measure the net uh, uh, potential of the ICT sector as a whole in reducing carbon emission. Meaning, when you speak about that green and digital transition that we started from in all the presentations, which kind of digital is really going to help you to achieve green? Last part of my presentation, what does this all have to do with the uh, competition policy? From an industry viewpoint and more specific from a telecom uh, viewpoint, we are looking at it in several ways. First of all, uh, we said it, in order to transition the telecom sector towards a greener position, we need to transition to full 5G and full fiber because duplications are uh, never good. So if you duplicate networks or if you duplicate uh, companies, you are going to generate more uh, carbon emissions. This is why, for example, network sharing, which is a practice that is regulated and reviewed by competition regulators, in our view is particularly 
relevant to this. Network sharing means uh, can we share some phone masts, some phone towers, some antennas, some part of the radio access networks um, in order to be more efficient in our rollout. But this is not only about it, uh, it's also about uh, reducing the quantity of the radio equipment that we put out, which has to do, if you want, to the production of this uh, uh, radio equipment. Third aspect, um, the switch off of the old networks. The studies tell us that if we create these new networks, 5G and fiber, but we don't switch off the old ones, of course, we're gonna add energy consumption and carbon emissions instead of reducing them. So competition policies need to help us as a telecom operators to transition to the new networks and switch off the old ones. Because if we keep on both, we're gonna generate more emissions. Finally, it was mentioned uh, a few times in the previous presentations, there is cooperation that can happen among industry actors, for example, on energy consumption, on recyclability, and on other things that are very relevant to the achievement of the Green Deal targets. So anything that comes in there in uh, 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 the horizontal guidelines that were mentioned a, a while ago by Bjorn are going to help us. The last point, and I conclude, is around price. And here I will make a comment that is really exclusively an ethno comment, so it doesn't engage any other of the bodies in which I'm involved. There is a debate uh, on which Margarete Vestager uh, intervened at the beginning of May on whether uh, tech giants should contribute in some way uh, to the development of broadband networks. So if they should pay in some way for the use that they make of this public good that is the internet and the internet networks. And of course, in the moment in which you put a price on something, you also generate a more uh, attentive use of the resource. And if the resource that we might end up pricing is internet traffic, of course, this is expected to also have beneficial effects on how optimized the traffic is online and therefore on, my, on how much data traffic we generate on uh, the networks. So these are my con uh, considerations as to what might be relevant from a competition viewpoint when you think of the telecom sector and the green agenda. Thank you, Frederic. Alessandro, wonderful. Thank you for making it in a, in a short time. Um, I won't jump on the last bound, though. I would love to, but I believe it would open for a whole afternoon conversation. Uh, and I'm sure that our two academics here would love to jump on this as well. But I would resist for the time because I have more, you know, uh, pressing questions for them and you. Uh, I have to apologize on behalf of the European Commissions um, who were definitely not able to join us. Uh, we will fix this for, for next time, for sure, trust me. I'd like to turn back to all you three. Um, so we understood from your three presentations, especially you, Bjorn, and Vicky, um, when talking about consumer policy, by the way, competition policy, with the focus on price, quality, welfare, and the environmental objective, we need to talk about a subtle balancing between those objectives. Um, there is a corollary to my questions because I would like to know 
first, how will we do this? Which value will be bigger than the others? And how will we balance this through which part of the treaty are we able to do that balance? But I got a corollary question uh, uh, for both of you, for both academics. Um, if I put my heart from the uh, Chicago Antitrust School, and that I look at the very narrow way uh, they define the objective of competition law, antitrust law, uh, price and welfare consumer. We see that all of this um, converge to what I would call maximizing output. And you said it, Bjorn, about uh, how could we just support efficiency, and in this case, um, cost efficiencies. But don't we have here, per se, contradictions with whatever sustainability objective we might have, because maximizing output might not fit with sustainability objective, does it? You might, as the dominant operators, be willing to maximize output or save in it, save uh, cost, but in the same time, you might use much more resources uh, to do so. So is there not a contradiction in terms between the focus on this uh, competition law and what we get at the outputs that would be much more energy, much more environmental impact. I hope I'm clear. But let's back to the overall questions. How would we make this balance? Which kind of higher, um, um, I would say, higher values would we use to do that balance? Who want to take it? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to take that. <laughs> but I won't have a straightforward answer for you. Um, I think when, when we start thinking about green goals and digital goals and how we can combine them, and like I, sh like I talked about, in some scenarios, they'll go hand in hand and luckily we'll have you know, value alignment and there won't be a necessity for, for a balancing. But then will come the tricky cases, um, inevitably. And there, we have to open up our minds to to really incorporate goals that are not the strict, like you mentioned, Chicago school goals of uh, a certain type of consumer welfare. Uh, we might have to be more encompassing, um, just not only thinking about lower prices and higher output and things like that. Where can that come from? I think that in, in the European Union, that quite clearly comes from the treaty itself, um, that, the, that we have more to consider than simply efficiency. Um, and if you think about EU competition law, I mean, one of our main goals in EU competition law has always been to have an internal market. And in very many cases, that actually worked against efficiency. Um, but we still held on to it because as a value, this, we understood that this was what we needed to do to have a European Union as a peace project. So it really links back to this idea of why do we have the European Union? And... Uh, if you think of it in those terms, it becomes quite clear that to also have um, an environmentally sustainable Europe is something we should also strive for, because otherwise, I mean, there, there will be no Europe full stop. Uh, um, so that's, I think there is reasoning, if you go back to the fundamental goals of the European Union to say, we, we have we want to strive for more than just economic efficiency. And this is something that, if I read the, the European Court of Justice, um, is something that the court would not um, say no to straight away. It would definitely consider that. John? Yes, <laughs> if I may add to this, and uh, I'm a bit boring, I don't disagree with, with, with Vicky. 
Um, I, I think, Frederick, you, 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 you touched upon really the, the, the core question. There's a lot of, uh, of, of course, of, of, of policy considerations and, and, and what would be nice and what should, uh, should be done. Uh, but at the moment, we have a, we have a treaty, we have uh, certain rules, and we have to operate with, within these rules. And um, of course, there, you can discuss changes to the treaty, ask whether there should be um, possibilities to, to restrict um, use of or the output um, where, where you think it's, it, it doesn't make sense. But this, in the end, would need to be, uh, and, and I am really strong here, uh, this needs to be a political decision. Meaning, uh, if um, we say it's uh, not good for the environment to, to fly too much and every citizen should only fly twice per year and only for uh, important reasons, that's something, uh, a decision which should the, the politicians should take, uh, which have the uh, necessary uh, legitimation. And that's nothing uh, an authority or a company should take. So, and um, well, so what we have is this, this framework, which as you rightly point out, in principle, I, I'm not sure whether we have a strict Chicago uh, standard in the European Union, but um, we have uh, consumer welfare in a, in, a, in a broader sense. And that's something, of course, we all benefit from. And uh, I personally also wouldn't want to give up. So I, I want, don't want to have uh, companies deciding for me, what's uh, what's better for me, uh, but uh, that's something for, for, for the consumer uh, to decide. And and, and generally, uh, what's of, of use for somebody is, is, is in, the, in the end, uh, still a, a, a personal category. Um, having said that, I think there is there's some room for maneuver. And, and that's, uh, Vicky already mentioned, uh, we, we have the, the different conditions in the, in, in, in the treaty for the exemption of, um, of agreements and concerted practices from, from the banning cartels. And if you look at the different criteria, there is um, room for, for interpretation. Uh, for example, if you look at the first condition, improvement of production or distribution of goods, uh, this, is, this is very wide. And I, I think that the commission has signaled that in their view, um, these uh, efficiencies can be uh, interpreted widely. Uh, covering also qualitative efficiencies, not, not only strict um, quantitative efficiencies. And um, at, at, at some point, yeah, we, we, there's going to be, uh, there's always a question, do you still stay within the framework? Um, and at what point are we leaving the framework which is provided for uh, by the treaty? And uh, we would need a, a, a lawmaker select. I, I think this is really, uh, one of the, the, crucial, the crucial points would be, for example, these, um, these collective benefits, because I think this is really a, a tough decision, um, allowing companies to charge a higher price for a certain product to the, to the disadvantage of a certain group of, of consumers for the benefit of, of, a, of a larger group. And there, there, I think there is some room for this if you have, a, um, if you have clear positive externalities um, and you have a significant coverage, so there's a large overlap of the group, I think then we, we can be pragmatic and say, okay, we, we, yeah, we might have a person who pays, um, if, if, you, if you want to uh, put figures to it, who pays uh, eight uh, and, and, and only receives seven, but the rest of us receives 10. I, I think this is fine, but generally saying, if you, if you want to say, we want to limit 
uh, output to, to the disadvantage of a certain group. Uh, I think in, the, in, in, in general, this is, this is, this is a, a political decision. I, I, I think the, Alessandro provided a, a, a pretty good example where we, um, to, to illustrate this. The, the, the network sharing, uh, because if you, if you would measure this against uh, uh, competition law, um, the restriction of competition here is um, on that something authorities would normally raise, raise is the, uh, you have a, a limitation of, of network competition. If you switch off, uh, I don't know, two of, uh, of three networks, um, you save a lot of uh, uh, energy, you say, uh, uh, but on the other hand, you will have less competition on the networks because basically all customers will have to use the, uh, the same uh, cell network. But you can, this is, this is in, in this case, you have a restriction of competition, which I think you can very nicely measure against the benefits um, for, uh, for, for consumers, and which is like something which you can also uh, calculate. So I think this is something where we have, um, where we have room for maneuver and um, where um, uh, this different focus where we, which we have nowadays compared maybe to a situation five years ago, uh, will also, would also allow us to come to a different uh, result. Thank you. Thank you, Bjorn and, and, and Vicky. I'm discovering, actually, there was already a question on the chat that you guys might see as well, and I will ask Joran to go through it. But I see that the first one actually was just about that. It comes from Girija Pandey, which is an esteemed member of our board. And I'm very happy to have you on board, uh, Girija. Thank you for being here. You're calling in from Singapore, so not very comfortable for your time zone. But you are spot on. That is the main issue. And I believe that uh, John and Vicky just answer your question. Um, I have corollary questions to this, of course, um, um, because that is quite complex, right? Should competition law swallow exactly what, what, what you say, including the sustainable objectives might seem strange from people like us who come from a long history of competition focusing on the price. Um, um, but um, Vicky, I remember that you were also addressing um, whether we should come from a more permissive kind of competition focusing on sustainability and there are already conversation about something that is not so permissive so why should we stand actually should we have a competition law which is what i would call a permissive one who would let companies do a lot of stuff because they're claiming we're sustainable or we are trying to achieve sustainability or should we also consider what we hear is coming fast, and that is the prohibitive approach, more prohibitive on sustainability and just trying to make sure that companies does or do what we ask. What's your take on this one? So I think so far, when we talk about green antitrust, it's really been about this permissive approach, allowing companies to enter into agreements like Bjorn described to promote sustainability cooperation. Uh, I think what we shouldn't forget is that, of course, uh, companies are not silly. <laughs> they uh, will also try and use cooperation to, for all kinds of other goals. And this is something that we simply cannot let happen. So as, as 
as we're discussing to be more permissive under a computational lens for sustainability cooperation, we shouldn't forget that this will also be used as a tool to engage in all kinds of other cooperation that we don't want to see. And we need to have this on our radar and we need to uh, ensure that this is not abused really as a tool. And this is in fact um, something that we're researching right now at my research group to find out what kind of sustainability cooperation would actually be needed. What can companies do alone? Where do they actually need cooperation? And I think it links to, to another question that, that came from the audience that we're probably going to cover in a minute of what kind of guidance you can give because um, you want to give guidance that allows for sustainability cooperation where it actually furthers sustainability. Um, and where it's actually like Bjorn went through the four criteria of article 1013, right? And one of them is indispensability. I think that's, that'll be a very important point to look out for in those um, cooperation agreements, um, whether cooperation is actually indispensable or whether it could be done alone. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vicky. Yes, the question was indeed on uh, how many participants, many respondents to the Commission's policy brief on competition policy in support of Europe's green ambitions. They were concerned that in the absence of clarity, the risk of breaching the competition rules would prevent them from investing in sustainable product or processes. So how can these concerns be overcome concretely? Vicky already mentioned cooperation uh, in general and guidance. And I would like to ask all the participants, including Alessandra, because I know Etna also responded to uh, to this uh, consultation from the from the Commission, so uh, maybe we can start with you, Alessandro. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, actually, as as Frederick was saying also earlier, when uh, he, he first gave me the floor, the certainty is an important factor. So we are indeed suggesting in our response to the consultation areas in which we would welcome an explicit guidance uh, from the commission uh, that has to do uh, with network sharing, but also with cooperation in those fields that I was mentioning before on energy consumption, recyclability, and in general, the concept of scale, uh, which by the way, I was listening also to what Vicky uh, and Bjorn uh, mentioned. It's a concept that for us is very important in digital markets because that, that's where we operate uh, as telcos. We operate in markets in which in certain segments we end up competing with tech uh, uh, companies or tech giants. And therefore, uh, clearly the aspect of uh, scale and scaling up solutions is, is something that we know very much about because we see how important it is. And I think that also in the green area, the ability to cooperate on certain technological solutions on standards and the ability then to scale them up is very important. And in order to avoid uh, any uh, antitrust issue, we need to have uh, clear ex-ante guidance to know where we can and where we cannot go. Because, and here I'll conclude, I think uh, that there is also a culture in which we tend to ask for permission in Europe rather than asking for forgiveness, which is good, especially when it comes to antitrust and, 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 and things as sensitive as prices, but then it might slow things down. 
So if in a field as important as a reduction of carbon emissions, we have ex-ante guidance that is clear enough and defines the boundary where we can go ahead and do stuff and be relaxed, I think that that will definitely help us in the rollout of, of digital solutions for green. Oh, thank you very much. This was really spot on. And we also have uh, one, last, one last question from Cynthia Menezes, again from the audience. So despite all efforts, there are still sustainability problems within the supply chain production of digital industry itself. So how can competition law help improve control over supply chain and production practices that are harmful, not only for the environmental, but also for basic human and labor rights, which are also sustainability goals. So it's overall SDGs and how can competition serve as a driver for or for achieving overall SDG goals. Again, this goes to all three of the speakers. And I think it's we might relate it with the current trends such as the German ethical supply chain law, which also comes to mind. So uh, who would like to take this one? I think all of you can. No, I mean, in, in principle, the, I think a lot of the considerations which we, we discussed uh, for, for the green transition uh, also apply for other sustainability goals. Um, to, to a certain extent, maybe the um, green efficiencies are a bit easier um, than, uh, than other sustainability goals uh, because they have um, a certain objective uh, element. Because if you, you can measure the reduction of um, uh, in, in your carbon footprint. And that's something which you can also, you quickly you can actually, and that's the, uh, again, the, the traditional approach and you can put a price tag on because if you, you know nowadays what it will cost you if you exhaust a, a certain amount of um, uh, um, carbon emissions. So there, I think the, the principles are the same and probably you can, if you have a labor law uh, or, or standards, that's something where you will have uh, similar conditions. Uh, on, on other, um, on, on, on for, for, for other sustainability goals, animal welfare, it's probably, you, you need to be a bit more creative because it, it will be more difficult actually to put a, a price tag on. We, we, we have a, a competition law practice in, 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 in different member states. And uh, there's this this, uh, this this famous case in the Netherlands, which which, which which totally went wrong, at least for the, for the companies participating in it with the, the chicken of tomorrow, where companies uh, agreed on a certain standard uh, for for chicken, and uh, the the uh, competition authority intervened and then um, did an ex post uh, assessment of the situation, found out that companies acting on their own actually implemented higher standards, and then they would have. Uh, achieved through their joint initiative. Um, I think there be, you, 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 you even have more issues with the question of, uh, of, of willingness to pay. And uh, what's, what, what are you doing if you have consumers who say, no, I don't want to pay uh, more for a certain uh, more su sustainable product? Uh, will you allow companies to force them to pay, uh, to pay more for it because it, it, it has a uh, it will achieve a, a, a higher welfare standard. And I, I think in, in this respect, maybe the, the same principles apply. Um, also, in, 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 in general, you will have, you have, of course, the, the same link uh, to digitization that a lot of these corporations 
um, are only possible uh, by using digital tools. Um, but other than that, I, I think the, 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 really the, the perfect interplay is between uh, the green transition and, uh, and uh, digitalization. Thank you, Bjorn. Um, well, I see time is flying. It's horrible. Um, um, before we come, well, we slowly come to the end of this conversation, but I, yet I have a quite provocative question, if you allow me, and it's just for you, the academics, but actually you, Alessandro, might be really interested to answer as well. Um, I see some trends in some of your colleagues in academics saying that I will try to summarize in a very provocative way, but when it comes to digital and sustainability, big is bad. I mean, big companies with market power have much more responsibility than others because of their market power. And then we know from constant jurisprudence that you don't need to show the causality between uh, the market power and the abuse. So we could just come up with some ex ante uh, rules from a competition perspective, which is focusing on those big market power uh, and imposing them um, sustainability rules, even before they abuse their domain position. What's your take about that? And I know it's quite provocative. Who wants to take it? Uh, I'll go first, if that's okay. So, I mean, today, as you know, is the day that the European Parliament voted in favor of the Digital Markets Act. So I think this question is right spot on, um, is being bad. I think gatekeepers can be a competition issue, and this is why we have the Digital Markets Act. But there's a, it's a whole different question how that translates to the interaction of green and digital, in my view, because the market power that those companies, those gatekeepers have also means that they have quite a lot of power to actually implement green goals. But of course, as we know from the DMA, they also have a lot of power to do all kinds of, uh, engage in all kinds of other behavior that we don't want to see. So I think the question is how can they harness the market power, the economic power um, they have to, to further this green and digital goal overall. Um, so the rules on digital and green competition, they will apply to them as to any other company and the Digital Markets Act will apply in addition to that. So I think uh, if we're thinking about green goals, um, the normal competitional framework will apply and we'll, we'll have to see, you know, they'll be judged by what they do. It's not an ex-ante regulation, um, what we're doing here. Okay, good, good one. Bjorn? No, actually, I would say, and if it comes to, to green competition law, actually, uh, big can, can be very good. And we have the, the, the ideal situation we, we would have is that all companies become green. So you have a big group of, 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 of green companies. And um, so actually, um, a, a lot of these initiatives, uh, I think, require uh, that, uh, that the majority of, of, of companies on the market would participate. If you have a, if you have, if you want to change uh, certain types of behavior which you think uh, which we think are not beneficial uh, for, for the environment which we need to we need to adapt um, to uh, achieve the, uh, the the aims of the of, of, the, of the green deal uh, we, we need to have uh, industry-wide participation and in this respect I, I would say um, we, we need uh, size and um, we need economies of scale and uh, that's something where 
can of course be skeptical of of uh, of, of, of big companies in, in digital markets, but that's a whole different issue. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, if we if if you if you have strong companies uh, going ahead, uh, helping with the, with the green transition, I think that's a, that's that's a positive thing. Thank you. Jaren? Oh, Alessandro, if yeah. you want to say a few words before I, we... I, I would agree with both Vicky and Björn, and um, two things come to mind. One, we were talking about internet traffic, and, and it has become almost commonplace that when we post a picture today, we, we need to think also of the carbon footprint of that picture that ends up in the data center, that has a backup, so on and so forth. And this relates to the concept of scale, because for unrelated issues, we recently looked at the traffic, uh, internet traffic, and 55% of it comes from the top six companies. So whereby the so-called tech giants can be a problem in certain areas, they can be helpful here, as uh, Björn and Vicky says, because if we agree with these six, six tech giants, how to deal with that traffic, we have sorted out more than enough of the traffic that goes through the internet in the world. The second thing though, is that we should also think small. And that's something that comes from the experience we are having in the European Green Digital Coalition. One of our partners is the Digital SME Alliance. Uh, we need to think SMEs, especially in Europe, where, uh, what is it, over 90% of the companies in Europe are, are, are SME, in, in certain European countries are SMEs. How do we bring them in board, on board uh, on solutions that are scalable uh, also for them? So we need to think big, but also think small. We need to do both things. Thank you, Alessandro. You're right, but we were not thinking of SME just up, up front because they might not have uh, market power, right, from a competition perspective. But, but I agree with you on a more forward-looking way. Jiran? Yeah, as time flies, I would just like to ask a general question as concluding remarks. So what are the future trends in your mind when it comes to competition law and policy? Clearly, we are seeing more and more calls towards more interoperability between platforms, more openness, transparency, accountability, data sharing. So I would like to hear from all our speakers uh, on what they see is the main future trend and what the future brings. We can start with the same order, if you like, starting with Vicky. Okay, so <laughs> this is a hard question because we don't know. Um, but as, as far as the current antitrust discourse goes, I think digital and green in that combination will actually be a, a major topic as we go ahead. Jan? Yeah, maybe, maybe a bit boring, but I think it's... It's digital, it's green, and it's a combination of digital and green, definitely. Yeah, they can coexist. It's a great message. Alessandro? Maybe I'm thinking collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. And therefore, uh, maybe a bit provocatively, I will tell you that maybe a trend lies in what is the balance between competition policy and industrial policy. I may be thinking a bit Mariana Mazzucato here, but that's where I see it might go. We might need a bit more of one and a bit less of the other, maybe, if I put it in extremely simplistic terms. Wonderful answer. Um, Jaren, I believe it's time to close. Um, you know our policy, actually, when we open a meeting and we promise it will be 19 minutes, we do this. 
uh, and be sure I regret it because uh, we haven't touched upon so many topics. We restrain ourselves from talking about DMA indeed, especially today about some of your work, Vicky, on data um, that we know you've done before talking about sustainability, which is absolutely thrilling in. We would love to see this uh, and discuss this again. So I would like to thank you all. You were a perfect trio to discuss all of this. We've got a practitioner, an academic, and the trade associations. Next time we got a policymaker in the room, we promise, uh, because there will be a next time. We would love to continue these conversations, maybe about DMA, but it will be back in September. In the meantime, we will leave you all with fantastic holidays, at least in this hemisphere. Thank you for being there. Thank you for this contribution. And uh, we hope to see you soon in reality on the screen again. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a great Bye. summer.